very good. Good morning, uh, everyone. I'm coming out of there pretty loud. <laughs> it's not nice hearing your own voice. Um, anyway, what was people's favourite chocolates? I heard scorched almonds up the front. Uh, mine is... Sorry, sorry, we'll, okay, there we go, there we go, that's much better. Mine is coconut rough, bit controversial, but chilled in the, in the fridge, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, anyway, as, as Matt said, my name's Sam, and uh, if I haven't met you before, just want to echo what Matt said and welcome you to our church. We're stoked you're here and just hope you feel at home and, and welcome to, um, on this Easter Sunday morning. Um, for the traditionalists here, I'm going to start off with a um, traditional Easter Sunday greeting. I'm going to give this a go. He is risen. Very good, very good. I was kind of had nightmares around how that was going to go. Is anyone going to catch on? Um, but anyway, as Matt said, I kind of started the story on on uh, Easter Friday, and we kind of went through the Easter account, and we paused at the kind of climax of Friday where Jesus died on the cross. And um, I'm just going to continue reading the story this morning. So I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and I'm going to get right into that this morning. So if you weren't here on Friday, the context is Jesus has offered himself up for us. He's breathed his last, uh, and we're reading the very next verse. So it says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new, new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, so that would have been the first Easter Sunday, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And I'm just going to take a moment to pray if you want to join with me. Lord, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you didn't just die for us, that you rose again. And we thank you for the power of your resurrection. Holy Spirit, would you lead me as I speak this morning, and would you reveal Christ to us in a new way? In Jesus' name, amen. He is not here, for he has risen. He is not here, for he has risen. You know, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It proved that he was who he said he was. It validated that he was the Son of God. It showed that not even death could hold him. The final enemy, the, the kind of the, the final taste of sin, not even that could hold him. It showed that he was who he said he was. And as significant as it was for Jesus um, to validate who he was and prove his victory, the resurrection wasn't only about him. Through the resurrection, he began a pattern that all of those who would put their faith in him would follow. Just as Jesus rose to new life, we too, those who would put their faith in him, rise to new life too. You know, and that happens in two different stages. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, our spirit, which was once cut off, which was once dead as a result of sin, becomes alive. It becomes reconnected to God. It becomes new. We get given a new identity. We become a new creation with a new nature. That happens the moment we put our faith in Jesus. We experience a resurrection as such, and we're empowered to live a resurrection life that wasn't possible before. And while we're on earth, we kind of learn how to live out of this new reality. We learn how to live out of our spirit, this new creation, this new birth, this new identity that he has granted to us through his resurrection. Um, but while we're on this side of earth, or while we're on this side of death, that won't be complete. It's kind of begun. The new creation is broken and our, our spirits have been made new. We've been reconnected to God, but we hold the hope of our bodies being, rised, being raised from the dead again too. It will be complete one day. We're kind of in this uh, in-between stage. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 1. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. And born again is like a kind of a Christianese word. But what born again means, it means that your, your spirit that wasn't uh, in union with God has been rebirthed. It's been uh, recreated. It's been brought back into connection. You, you've kind of become a new creation because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled before the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation. Talking about this in-between period, he's, he's kind of rebirthed us. We've got this new creation, but we're going to inherit in its fullness when he returns, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You know, isn't that encouraging? Jesus' Jesus' resurrection changed everything. And I've been pondering it this week that I often feel like we, we grasp that he has risen from the dead, but we don't quite grasp what that means for us. So I want to talk about three things this morning that I believe Jesus' resurrection has accomplished uh, for us. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to talk about is that through the resurrection of Jesus, those that put their faith in him have become 
new creations. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have become a new creation. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. In the new... NIV version, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging for me, that the old is gone and the new is here, that when we put our faith in Christ and we follow him, the old life, the old identity, the old sinful nature is gone and the new has come. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of a a confusing sort of scripture in a way, because when we put our faith in Christ, we don't change physically. I didn't all of a sudden start growing hair, or um, as much as that would have been nice, I didn't, uh, my mind didn't change straight away. I still had the same thought patterns and the same habits. He's talking about within our spirit. Our spirit becomes a new creation. Our spirit is reborn. Our spirit is reconnected. Our spirit now has a new nature. We're now geared towards a different way of life. And as we learn to live out of that spirit, we can live a resurrected life as such. It happens on the inside. And as we learn to suffer, Admit to that, it begins to make its way to the outside. You know, we don't get it perfect this side of earth, but we learn to grow in it and we learn to live as a new creation. Ephesians 4 says this put on your new nature. Put on your new nature, saying that Christ has given you a new nature. Through, through his resurrection, you actually have a new nature. You've actually changed. You've actually, you, are, you are designed to live victorious. You're designed to live an overcoming life. You're designed to live a life victorious over sin. You're designed to think different and speak different and walk different. And it's through his spirit in you. But he says, put it on. Put on your new nature created to be like God created to be like God. Now within you, in the depths of who you are, you're actually created and geared to live like God. Isn't that encouraging that you're not kind of pushing against the flow? It's not a performance-based Christianity where you try harder and you strive. It's actually, no, he's created you to be like God. And as you learn to live out of your spirit, we begin to walk more and more like that, truly righteous and holy. You know, I want to tell you this morning, you're created to live a righteous life. You're created to live an overcoming life. You're created to live a victorious life. You're created to live a fruitful life. You're created to live an impactful life. You're created to live a victorious life and make a difference in the world because the Spirit of God through the resurrection of Jesus lives in you. I want you to say this morning, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And that's something we need to remind ourselves of because we live out of who we think we are. We live out of who we think we are. The way we see ourselves or the way we identify will dictate the way we act. And if we still see ourselves as a failure, we're going to live out of that. If we still see ourselves carrying guilt and shame and unworth, we're going to live out of that. If we still see ourselves as the old person, helpless to habits and a sinful lifestyle, we're going to live out of that. But if we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us, the identity that he's given us, the new creation lens that he's declared over us, we begin to live a new creation life, walking in righteousness, walking in peace, walking in joy. The identity that God has given you is holy, chosen, blameless, righteous, possessor of the divine nature, loved son and daughter, just as Christ rose for us, just as Christ rose, he has risen in us too. We are new creations. Isn't that encouraging? The second thing we need to know is that through the resurrection, Christ didn't just die for us, but he now lives for us. 
I'm going to say that again. Christ didn't just die for us 2,000 years ago, but he now lives for us. Um, As Christians, we often don't have a problem of understanding the message of the cross. You know, for me, I don't need much convincing that that I am a sinner. uh, It it happens frequently, if you'd ask my wife. I'm surprised we made it to six years, but um, I don't need much convincing. I understand that, that I need a saviour. I can identify with it. I need someone to come and pay that penalty and die for me, and I get it, and I get the cross um, that Jesus died for our sins, that we need him, we need that forgiveness, but uh, that's true for us, but quite often we stop there. We stop at the cross and we think, man, Jesus died for me, I get forgiven, and now it's up to me to try to live a good life. Now it's up to me to try my best to follow him. Now it's up to me to try harder and be worthy enough. Now it's up to me to to try and earn his love. Sometimes we have that mindset where we identify with the cross, but we forget just as Jesus died for us, he actually rose again and he now lives for us, that he's given us his spirit and he wants to live through us and he wants to guide us and he doesn't, he actually wants to lead us into life in this world, you know, we need to put our faith in him and his resurrection that he's alive in us rather than just identifying with his death and thinking it's up to us to follow him. I'm going to read a few scriptures out to you. This is what it says in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice who is the one carrying it on to completion. It's not us. He began the work and he completes the work. He began that new creation in us and he leads us and he lives through us. And it, and it takes a lot of pressure off us because it's not about, about us trying harder or striving or trying to be good. It's realizing that something changed in the core of my being when I was baptized into the body of Christ. I became a new creation and I can just live out of that and let Christ live through me. The only person that can live the Christian life is Christ. And as we rely on him and, and are led by him, we can begin to live the life that he calls us to live. First Thessalonians 5 says this, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. God will make this happen. Not I will make this happen. God will make this happen because Christ is alive in us. He didn't just die for us. He lives for us. He teaches us how to live the life. He walks with us. He's put his spirit in us, and he is the one that is setting us apart and making it into his likeness. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, isn't that encouraging that Christ lives for us? You know, Christ lives for you as you go into work. It's not up to you to to try to have it all done. Christ lives for you in your marriage. Christ lives for you in your relationships. Christ lives for you in every element of life. He's in you and he's leading you. And as we can just posture a heart of reliance and trust and surrender, he takes the load. He said, come to me, you who are heavy laden and weary, and I'll give you rest. You know, learn, learn from me, walk with me, and I will refresh your souls. It's a message that Christ, through his resurrection, is living for us. And for me, that's very good news. You know, the final thing we need to know about the resurrection is it enables us to live in great hope. And I'll just invite the, the keys to come back up. You know, while we live here on earth, the new creation has come in part. You need to hear it this morning. And unless you get this, I believe you're never going to live 
as God, God intends, if, unless you get that something changed within you, that you're not the same person when, as you were before you put your faith in Christ, unless you kind of understand that at the core of your being, that man, something changed, heaven broken in, I was restored to God, I was given his spirit, and now I'm empowered to live a life that I couldn't live before. We need to get that, but that's broken in. But we still live in a mortal body. We still live in a world that has pain and suffering. There's still death, there's still sickness. We're still learning how to actually live out of that and we still have thoughts that we need to bring into captivity. We still need to, to bring our, our flesh and, into subjection to our spirit and this side, of, this side of death, it's not perfect. Heaven's broken in, something's changed but we still live in a fallen world. But the thing is, Jesus has promised to come back again. He's promised to come back and make every wrong right He's promised to come back and restore and redeem creation. He's promised to give us a brand new body glorified with him. He's, he's promised to come back and restore every single thing. You know, Revelation 21 paints a picture of what we have to look forward to. And it's a, it's a scripture I, learn off, I, I share often because I believe it's what we need to anchor ourselves in. That God's with me, that he's for me, that he's changed me. That I'm living in this in-between period and there's this sin and sickness and suffering. But he's coming back. He's coming back again. And in this in-between, he promises to keep me. He promises to hold me. He promises to lead me. He promises to transform me. This is what it says in Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. You know, isn't that a beautiful thing to look forward to? That all the gone wrongness in the world will be restored. You know, we see glimpses of it sometimes. We see families playing at a park together. We see people enjoying creation at the beach. You know, we see people eating a meal and enjoying each other's company, and we see the, just the beauty of how the world is meant to be. But then we also see the other side of the coin. We see the effects of sin, and we see relationships broken down, and we see pain, and we see sickness, and we see suffering. You know, God has put his spirit in us to change us and to start that process now so that we would live new lives here on earth, and we would share his love and extend his kingdom. But he's going to come back and complete it. And we're going to inherit that. That is the power of the resurrection. You know, just as we come to the close, I just want to recap what, where we've been today. You know, we've been talking about the resurrection, that Jesus rose. He didn't just die, but he rose. He proved his victory. He validated who he is. And it wasn't just about him, but he started a pattern that each of us would rise. 
We focused on three things. The first one was that through the resurrection of Jesus, we've become new creations. Our spirits, which were dead and cut off from God, have become alive. It says we're united with him. It says we're joint with him. It says we're one spirit with him. It says we're new creations. It says we're holy and blameless and without fault. It says like we are a son, we are a daughter, we're free from sin and guilt and shame. That is the inheritance that we have. You know, maybe you're not feeling that great about yourself. God sees you through the eyes of Jesus. He sees you as new. He sees you as worthy. It's a free gift that he's given us and it's changed at the core of who we are. The second thing was that through Jesus' resurrection is he didn't just die for us, but he continues to live for us. He didn't just die once and now it's up to us. No, he continues to live for us. He puts his spirit in us to lead us and guide us, to lead us into joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. You know, let's remember that, that he's actually living for us. It's not up to us to try harder. It's up to us to have faith in him. It's up to us to rest in him. It's up to us to rely on him. It's up to us to let him lead. And as we have that confidence that, no, he's actually living for me. He's living through me. He's leading me. It takes the pressure off us. We can rest and trust him. You know, and finally, the resurrection enabled us to live with great hope. It enables us to live with great hope that when we're out in the world and we see things that just aren't how they should be, it's going to be transformed. It's going to be redeemed. It's going to be restored. And in that in-between period, he's using us to bring his kingdom to earth. He's using us to share his love. He's using us to change our personality. He's using us. You know, the, the resurrection is a message of great hope. Um, so I'd love you all just to stand as I, as I pray to, to close this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for the power of your resurrection that you didn't just die but you rose again and I thank you that your word says that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and Lord just as you were raised you promised that we will be raised and Lord I thank you that the resurrection validates your power that you are who you say you are and so Father I just lift up burdens that are in this room today if there's marriages that are struggling, that are dead and dry, I pray for resurrection life to flow into marriages. Lord, I pray for dreams that have been broken and bruised to come back to life. Lord, things that have been lost, I pray that they would revive. Father, I pray that you would revive mental health this morning. Lord, you would revive hope this morning. You'll resurrect purpose. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. I thank you that through your resurrection, we have a new identity. Lord, where there's sin, mindsets of shame or guilt or condemnation, Lord, would the truth be heard that we are new through you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.